Welcome to Insights and Strategies with Barbara Lang. On the program today, Barbara and her guests will discuss the topics you want to hear more about, from business leadership to community and education. It all affects our bottom line. Now, here is your host, Barbara Lang. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Insights and Strategies. We are delighted to have you. On this show, we try to bring you thoughtful and provoking insight on a variety of business issues that can have an impact on your organization. I am your host, Barbara Lang, Managing Principal and CEO of Lang Strategies, LLC. We want to impart information that can serve as good advice and counsel to you. We'll be tweeting during the show, so please join the conversation at langstrategies.com. And you can always reach me at bblang at langstrategies.com and can also learn more about our firm at www.langstrategies.com. On previous shows, we have discussed such topics as the impact of the 2016 presidential election on business, some cybersecurity challenges, building equitable communities, just to name a few. Last week's hot topic was the importance of networking and relationship building. Today's conversation, women at the top. So much has been written over the years about that glass ceiling or the concrete ceiling. A very important topic to discuss because we have the first presumptive nominee of a major party in Hillary Clinton as that nominee, and she certainly could become the first female president of the United States of America. Certainly a major milestone. And just as many people were so excited when Barack Obama was elected as the first African-American president. But as I said eight years ago, and I say now, we cannot rest on our laurels. Electing a woman president does not mean there will be more women in the boardroom, there will be more female CEOs of major corporations, that there will be more women willing to take the plunge into entrepreneurship and more investors willing to back them. There will be more women at the top of major nonprofits or more women in corporate America responsible for major lines of business with P&L responsibility. So today we have four women that have toiled in the vineyard, as they say, and reached the top rung of their respective ladders. Please welcome Donna Cooper. President of Pepco Region, now an Exelon company, which is a major utility serving New Jersey, Delaware, Washington, D.C., and Maryland. Edie Frazier, Vice Chair of Diversified Search, where she has had years of experience designing diversity programs and placement. And she's also CEO of STEM Connector, focusing on STEM education. Sheila Brooks president and founder of SRB Communications, a full-service advertising and marketing communications company. And Rosie Allen Heron, president and CEO of the United Way of the National Capital Region. And everybody knows the good work that United Way does in communities across this country. Ladies, welcome today. Thank I you know for having us. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I know we will have a stimulating conversation, and I am sure that the 50 minutes we have just won't be long enough. So, Sheila, let's start with you. You're the big entrepreneur on our, on our program today. You've won so many awards for broadcast journalism, for being that outstanding entrepreneur, for reinventing yourself and your company over the years. First, congratulations on all of that success. So what are your challenges and opportunities today? Thank you so much, Barbara Lang, for um, inviting me to be a part of this show today. I'm very pleased. I think that there are three major issues that are facing me today as a woman business owner and a woman business owner who happens to be a minority, an African-American woman, and these are the same issues that face so many of our minority entrepreneurs. Uh, The number one issue facing all small business owners is cash flow. Uh, and we have to talk about that, cash flow, access to capital, um, vendors paying on time and meeting obligations so that we as small business owners uh, can take care of the responsibilities that we have. Because we all know that banks aren't loaning money uh, like they used to. There were times in our lives when, and particularly mine, I could walk into a bank and get uh, a $100,000 signature loan. Those days went out with the 2007-2008 recession. So one and two, access to capital, cash flow. And then three, I would say what was happening to me 26 years ago when we started the business, it'll be 26 years old tomorrow. Wow, congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. Um, Is the same thing. It's recruiting and retaining the best talent. People are our most important assets. And we have to, as business owners, ensure that we have the best people in the best positions to deliver the highest quality and value add to our clients. So, And we also have to remember, as business owners, we must empower others to take responsibility in the business so that we as CEOs uh, can run our businesses. I assume that when you are trying to recruit and uh, and retain all the good people, you are also competing with, because you are a small business, you are competing with the larger businesses who sometimes have a wider array of benefits and um, are able, quite frankly, to maybe compensate them more. And that also becomes a huge problem, I assume. You can confirm that or not for me with you as you move forward. Oh, no, absolutely. You're spot on, Barbara. Um, it is a challenge for smaller businesses to compete with the best talent out there. So we have to look in different places. One of the things I've learned and I, I over the years is to look at those other large agencies like ourselves and, and try to identify some of the employees that might be taking buyouts because so many large companies are offering buyouts or laying off or just downsizing. We were very fortunate a couple of years ago to get a uh, top account manager from two of the worldwide uh, advertising agencies and globally uh, because the agency was downsizing and we were able to get uh, uh, one of the talent uh, that came from there that was going to be leaving and had been there. So we also do have to give them a 
few more parks. And, you know, one of the things we did this year is we increased our 401k plan. Uh, at one time in our in our in the business, I offered the first 11 years. We offered our 14 employees at the time full health benefits. Mm-hmm. We can no longer do that. No, no, um, you cannot so, afford to do that know, anymore. So, so we have to find other ways um, to compensate them. Excellent. Thank you. Miss Rosie, you have yes. had the unique experience of having a great uh, successful corporate career at Fannie Mae, where you and I worked together a number of years ago, and then you moved over to the nonprofit world as president and CEO of the United Way of the National Capital Area. Tell us a little bit about that transition, because I assume that it is very different, different animals. Well, it is a different animal, and, and thank you, Barbara, for the opportunity to share with your listeners. Um, you know, I will tell you, uh, I learned a lot at Fannie Mae, and I grew up there, um, spent really the bulk of my adult life and certainly a professional career there. But I will tell you, the, the bottom line is, you know, there are a lot more similarities than people think. Um, it was a tough move for me initially because I thought, uh, having been at Fannie Mae all my, my professional career just about, it was what I knew and, and, and it was something that I was somewhat comfortable with. But making the leap over to the nonprofit world, what I found is there aren't a lot of differences because the expectation is still that we will uh, operate the business uh, with uh, the end in mind in terms of who we're seeking to serve, but we have to do it with excellence. And so I always say uh, to the people who sometimes want to differentiate between uh, the nonprofit and the for-profit world is uh, nonprofit is just merely your IRS tax status. How yeah. you run the business, the level of accountability, having a culture of accountability, um, I think it's probably a little bit more even enhanced in the nonprofit <laughs> world because there is this expectation that you can speak to impact uh, just on the profit side as you're looking for a return on your investment. So for me, it was um, an opportunity to think a little bit differently but a lot of the business acumen and a lot of the business principles uh, that I learned while being in corporate America, I still very much apply uh, every day. And so the bottom line is you can make an, uh, you can have a return on the investment. And in this particular industry, we have a return on the, the lives that we're serving. So it's, uh, it's still somewhat similar, but definitely uh, somewhat different. I, my assumption is that your business career uh, and your business knowledge and experience certainly help you because so many nonprofit leaders have only been in the nonprofit arena Absolutely. and therefore don't come with the business experience that will help them uh, move the business along. And and because you are nonprofit doesn't mean that you're not to make a little money and and uh, and move it forward. So I assume that that helped you along the way. Absolutely. I will tell you, again, much of the lessons learned and much of the, the business acumen that's been acquired has been used. Um, the ability to look at budgets, the ability to look at financial reports, the ability to look at governance structures, uh, the ability to make uh, the case and have a value proposition as to why we want donors to entrust us and have us be good stewards of, of what they want to do to impact the community. Being able to shape and tell a story and look at a brand, all of those things are, are things that we do in, in corporate America, but now they're very much things that we have to do uh, to keep the competitive advantage because, to your point, many nonprofits start with a mission in mind, and it's somewhat uh, heart-controlled, uh, uh, 
But at the end of the day, uh, with so many things that are out here to compete for, for individuals' um, disposable dollars, we have to make the case and be that value proposition that people know that they're going to make a difference and they have an opportunity to do it with an entity that they believe is, is going to be as impactful as possible. So you yeah. still have to very much make the case. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Edie, I'm going to come to you, and we may have to take a break before we finish this uh, this answer. Uh, you have mentored many young women climbing to the top, and I've known you for a good number of years. You've placed many women in executive positions. Any particular words of wisdom that, that you have given them over these years that have served them well? Well, Barbara, thank you, and how neat that we've had Rosie as a corporate and Sheila's an entrepreneur, and Rosie, and that we're putting us all together now in terms of really driving us as a combination of women driving change. So as we look at executive search or as we look at training and the positioning, the opportunities have never been greater. And yet what we have got to do is empower that from young women up the system between mentoring and sponsorship, which I think everyone on the phone understands the difference. A sponsor is really an advocate when you sit into those boards for human resources of advocating and everything we are doing to become advocates becomes so important. So part of that is building that pipeline. And I think as we've all said, it's not only the white women, it is the women of color that we really champion as we work together and we work with our male colleagues as well to build and we can just talk through what exists today, but we're still, as you know, only 4% of women as CEOs. We've reached 19.9% of the board seats. The opportunity for women now on board seats is extensive. But again, we may be 50% of the workforce, but only 19, 20% of the board seats and of middle-level managers. And that's why we've seen, and Sheila and I, we've watched it through the years, the real growth of entrepreneurship has Absolutely. been very different because they're not mentored. Absolutely. And I want to continue this conversation, but we do have to pay the bills. So we're going to take a quick break right now. Stay with us for our important conversation uh, with our women at the top. Be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized 
plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with our guest today, Donna Cooper, Edie Fraser, Sheila Brooks, and Rosie Allen Heron. Just before the break, uh, Edie was talking about giving us some statistics and all, and while we were off air, uh, we kind of continued that conversation. And one of the things I wanted Edie to continue to comment on a little bit is how do we get more women in positions in corporate America that have P&L responsibility, where they are really a part of running the business and not the the human resources and PR and communications are also very important, but also a part that drives the business is the part that has responsibility for running the business. And Edie, I thought you could continue to comment, uh, say some of the things that you were saying while we were off air. Clearly, the opportunity to truly advance to the top, and I think everybody agrees, in senior management, we call them executive officials, which we know, and board positions, because we are desperate to get more women and minority women on corporate boards, is having two things. P&L responsibility, which is the first thing you look at, and that includes financial acumen and experience, but it also includes for so many companies, if you've got global corporation, we've got to have the global background as we advance, right? So I think, Barbara, that those are the two qualities we look for for most as we build up. I think what we're seeing in this New Girls Network, all of us, listening or the speakers today, we're so anxious to see that advance in the corporate world. I think we share on the entrepreneurship side. We've got more data that we're over 11 million entrepreneurs, what we're contributing to the economy, but we also know that we've got to share more role models or go into the business where the jobs are the greatest. So if it's cybersecurity, we've got 2 million job openings, and all we want to do is see women that own cyber jobs, as well as that kind of capability in the corporate world, and then excite young people. And we, 
Barbara, I hope we get a chance just to talk about what we've developed. Absolutely. We are. And We're, that yeah. as well. We are going to talk about that. And one of the things you just mentioned is the global impact and, and, and being ready for that. And that is no more important than what happened uh, yesterday and this morning uh, yes. with the U.K. coming uh, coming out, voting to come out of the, uh, of the EU. Donna, Miss Pepco. You have a lot of legislative experience in your background and in Washington uh, before joining Pepco, and and I sort of like Rosie coming out of the corporate world uh, into the nonprofit world. Tell us a little bit what it was like for you transfer transitioning from the public sector to corporate America, because again, they are very different animals. And tell us a little bit about what that was like for you, and more importantly, what did you learn um, out of that experience. Thank you, Barbara. And first of all, thank you so much for having this conversation on today. I reflected on that a little bit in this context. When I thought about working for the District of Columbia government or government in general, I wanted to give very high regards to that particular structure because that is an entity that was focused on really the economic resurgence of the district at that particular time. There was a laser focus from a policy perspective in many various diverse areas um, when it came to small businesses, contracting opportunities, when it came to pieces around education, health care, sustainability, the energy sector. And when I transitioned to PEPCO, There was also the focus from my perspective when I was making that change was to move in a direction where I was able to actually focus within the corporate world, within a respective and a more clearly defined area, meaning that the government is so significant and focuses on a diversity, diverse, very diverse areas, but wanting to focus more extensively on energy policy, areas of sustainability, the changes that were happening in the industry at that time. But you must focus on something that's very critical and important when you talk about the utility industry. We are a, an entity that is a private sector entity, but still yet we are regulated. Um, so that's a unique feature. So there is a lot of intersection between our company and the legislative branch of government, the executive, uh, our regulated entity, which is the Public Service Commission. So you have a lot of collaboration, a lot of engagement and exchange around policy and the direction that the company was and is going in. When I came into the industry, something that was transpiring at that particular time, there was a lot of emphasis and focus, and this is national on infrastructure upgrades, and that's the nucleus of our business, which is to deliver safe and reliable electric service. So we were implementing a major initiative at that time around reliability. Around that same time, there was a focus around um, energy and sustainability and reducing energy usage. And during that period, there was a transformation relative to technology and the implementation of the smart grid and how critical and important that was to the energy policies of the District of Columbia. And then we fast-forwarded a little bit around issues around resiliency. So there is that constant intersection 
between what we do because we are a service-oriented company providing service. And when you think about the government, you have that intersection that is so defined in that respective area as well. The government is providing services to people in more diverse ways, but there's a lot of similarities that is there also. I wanted to take a point of uh, privilege just to speak as well a little bit about my background. I came from a very... from a business-oriented background, small business, obviously nothing on the level of a corporation of this nature. So I grew up with a grandparents that owned a small business. My father took that over and did some other areas, but he was very much so also involved in community, in government, in public policy. I felt that I always had this 360-degree view, and I always advanced the fact that when you talk about government, business, community, nonprofits, they are entities that have to collaborate and work together, and that's how we really change society significantly, that the interests are actually overlapping and are not mutually exclusive of one another. Well, and and it looks like um, uh, because you're in corporate America, you're really not like other corporate entities because you're not exactly independent of the government. Um, You've got the legislative, you've got the the executive, and you've got the regulator. I imagine sometimes it's like herding cats trying to get it all uh, in sync with each other. So thank you for that um, um, explanation of kind of, how uh, how it is all working together. Uh, ladies, I'd like to explore for the rest of this segment and really going into uh, the next segment, um, a really big initiative that you may have had or big decision that you had to make that really had a major impact on you or the organization that you lead. And I might lead you, because I know all of you, I might lead you to one or two uh, of those. And, and uh, Edie, let me start with you, and, and then maybe you'll round us out to the next break. Uh, you're leading up a new initiative on mentoring young girls, I think focused on STEM education. And I wanted you to tell us briefly about it and how you hope this is preparing them for the future to be one of you one day. Well, thank you, Sheila. And nothing is more exciting than what we kicked off in January 2013 with called Million Women Mentors. Go to millionwomenmentors.org. We really are 680,000 pledges to mentor. And the five pathways, including mentoring, sponsorship, internships, apprenticeships, But what we found was with high school girls back in 2014 is that only 4% of high school girls out of a sampling of about 378,000 said they were encouraged to really go on into careers and specifically STEM careers. We've just updated that data with my college options. It's out of 100,000 girls in 2016, we're up 2%. 6% felt they were encouraged by mentoring or helped to really go forward to give the girls the empowerment. Million Women Mentors goes all the way from middle school to corporate boards, but it's extremely exciting that we have really built out in 36 states 
uh, already, got many lieutenant governors in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe is the honorary chair for the Virginia effort. We've gotten hundreds of corporations to really take a look at what they're already doing, and that means what they're doing all the way from the middle school system all the way up the corporate ladder in terms of support. We've got the nonprofits, the government, and we pulled 67 nonprofit organizations into it which were saying to them that are women and girls organizations representing 30 million women and girls, what do we do to build this framework so whether they're female or males, what we really know is let's go after great jobs and we can only do it if we're really pulling that time out and so we all know on the corporate side, it really takes the sponsorship and even on the entrepreneurship. So it's basically so important that we've all got that advice and counsel. And truly, even as we just said, on the entrepreneurship side, it's really teaching us the finances because I think that Sheila and I would say, look, what we may have learned is clearly running a financial bottom line of not just what the sales are, but what we look at in terms of cash flow. And Sheila, you said it so well. So it sounds exciting. We do. Uh, my producer is is egging me on that we need to stop for a moment, take a quick break. Stay with us for our next segment of Women at the Top. We'll be right back. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Blend Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Welcome back and glad you stayed with us. When we ended the last segment, uh, we heard Edie uh, talking a bit about her STEM initiative and uh, uh, the mentoring that goes on and kind of how we're preparing uh, young women for these bigger jobs and more influential jobs. And it was interesting when we were off air, because I know the United Way of the National Capital Area has uh, a, a, an initiative not necessarily just focused on STEM, but with uh, uh, young uh, youngsters in the middle school. So Rosie and Edie are going to get together after this because I think there is some real synergy and delighted that uh, that, that could be, connection could be made on this show today. Um, Sheila, was there or has there been a big aha moment for you or a big transformational project that captured your attention and and was a really big changing point for you that you're able to talk about on the air? Um, Yes, absolutely. Um, The one thing that I can talk about uh, transformationally for me in business uh, was certainly um, uh, occurred uh, during the recession. Uh, Everyone knows that so many small businesses, as did major corporations and even the government, uh, had to look at downsizing and, and changing the way that we operated uh, during the recession. Uh, and I can say that we had to do the same. For 18 years, we were a production company. My background is television news as a reporter and anchor and producer and news director. And I, I morphed into a production company business in, the ni- in 1990 uh, and ran a very successful production company in Washington, D.C. for 18 years, uh, serving not only federal government clients with educational and training uh, videos, but uh, all of those major networks that I worked for producing long-form programming for them, for America's Most Wanted, ABC News, PBS. And when the recession came, it also was a change in the media industry. As we all know, uh, a lot of television went to reality shows and the inter-social media and the Internet, and the world was changing also in the media, and that mean, meant that we had to change. Overnight, we lost a couple of million dollars in business. I had to downsize the business uh, from 14 people to four um, and we're, and and then we had to uh, look at how we could grow. I, I had no choice. It was either look at 18 years of being in business and shut it down and call it a victory or reinvent myself, re-engineer the company, uh, and I was not going to give up. And I looked at what the market could bear, and I changed the way we did business and expanded into an advertising and marketing agency. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be back up to 14 people again. We know how to do it better now. We're up to eight full-timers and a half a dozen uh, subcontractors. But 
I turned it around. And now we have doubled our business since the recession. We started to focus on advertising and marketing campaigns because what we learned in television, what we learned in production, is that we're storytellers. And what a campaign is, is telling a story about a brand. Uh, and then we start looking at particularly business verticals, and we looked at the utility and energy industry, and we looked at universities, certainly government, because we played um, in that arena for so long, and now we are working with major corporations, all those utilities in the mid-Atlantic region where we are the agency of record, primarily for uh, advertising, uh, for uh, multi-cultural advertising. Uh, We are doing strategic communications, if we're not the agency of record, community outreach and engagement. And it has been um, a great time learning and growing, but it also was a challenge. But that was really an eye-opener for us, and it kept us going, and it made us bigger and stronger and gave us more access and opportunity uh, to so many other areas, which meant success and growth and sustainability. You know, that's a, that's a great lesson for all of us, whether you are corporate, whether you are an entrepreneurship, whether you're in the nonprofit arena, that we constantly have to look at the market and look ahead and continue to reinvent ourselves. What works, what will work today is not the business model of 10 years ago because so much uh, has changed. Uh, Rosie, yeah. I know. I know that your I know about your annual uh, giving campaign and of course the Do More 24 but is there another big initiative or big decision that has been transformational for you? Oh, absolutely, Barbara. Um, certainly most people, when they think of United Way, they may think of it as something they've come familiar with through their workplace. And it's something that, you know, has been around for over 100 years, but we're moving into what we call transformational and having true collective impact um, in the community. And one of the things that we've started, uh, we just completed our first year, is a five-year community commitment. It's uh, a $12.3 million investment that we're um, promising uh, to make uh, in the community over the next four more years now. And I can tell you, year one was phenomenal. And what it does is it talks about the, the efforts that we will be making in uh, middle schools with many of our students who may be in some challenged environments economically and where there may be some food insecurity and where there may be um, supports needed in order to help our children be successful. We know that there are about 12,000 students across the Washington metropolitan area that happen to be in these schools. And so they have those needs. And so part of our uh, commitment over the next four years will be to reach all 12,000 of those middle school students, literally from D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And uh, and then we also know that there are economically challenged families where we know at least 100,000 are unbanked or underbanked or using fringe services as a part of their mainstream banking, and so we've made a commitment to reach 100,000 of those families over the next now four years. Uh, Again, it's been great. It's been very different for us as a United Way because it's not just, uh, you know, let us help you support your local or personal passion. This is about us looking across the community collectively to say what are the issues that we need to tackle. And so it's a little bit different for us, so it is definitely transformational, but we are super excited about it and know that at the end of the day, uh, many of the families who really need our help are, are going to be able to be uh, better off uh, because of what we do t- collectively as a community. 
a huge change to your business model over what we have seen as the United Way's uh, business model over the years. So congratulations on that. And I think it will. And that's the reason you and Edie have to get together because I think there's some <laughs> there's some synergies there. So delighted sure. to hear that. Donna, Absolutely. I'm, and can I just build up sure. because the case of Sheila changing the business. I think of our friend Jen Biskelly out in Virginia. You know, she then said she had to build a second business. And I think we all know friends that are saying, because if there were that many opportunities for contracts in cybersecurity and that many jobs open there, then she was going to get into that business. So I think what's so exciting is to think about the marketplace mm-hmm. and clearly where the jobs and where the opportunities are, whether it be an entrepreneur, the corporate, the nonprofit, because we are changing so fast, right? And so particularly for the younger women, what are the opportunities into a growth business rather than a stagnant business. Absolutely. You've got to look at what's going on. And I think if I can add one last thing, Edie, you're absolutely right because it's all about vision, too. Your vision helps you to survive when you have an uncertain economy. And and as I always tell people, is that whole old adage uh, that we've all heard, tough times don't last forever, but tough people do. And so what we have to do is we have to have that power of resilience and have the ability to withstand or adapt to, uh, recover from any adversity or any kind of disruptive life changes. So you have to be out there to have that kind of flexibility and and also as entrepreneurs to accept the inevitability of change, which is something that's going to happen no, no matter what, and the inevitability of occasional setbacks, and know what to do and, and, and persevere. You know, it's so very true, and one of the things that our firm does is work with companies, nonprofits, and all about change management, because that is the most difficult thing for staffs to do, because you're having, uh, the CEO can be ever so good in articulating a new vision for the organization or for the company, but if you cannot get the people on the team to look at themselves and how they have to operate very differently. Differently, uh, that that new business model will fail. Uh, many times when we talk to clients along the way, and 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 everybody will agree. Oh, I sign up for that. I clearly understand it, Barbara. You and your staff, we're on board. You need. I'm fine. Go talk to those other people over there because they're the ones that need their behavior changed, and not realizing that they're talking really about themselves, and they don't want to change. And because that's what's comfortable. We're very, we're all mm-hmm. creatures of habit, and we're comfortable, and the unknown makes us very uncomfortable, and so it becomes uh, very, very difficult uh, to do. Donna, before I lead you to your big initiative, and I'm going to lead you to yours because it was so uh, profound in, the, in this region, let's take a break, and then we will come back right after the break and uh, talk about uh, uh, what you've been through the last two years. Uh, Stay with us. We will be right back with our conversation for the final segment with Donna Cooper, Edie Frazier, Sheila Brooks, and Rosie Allen Heron. We'll be right back. Thanks.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lang Strategies is the leader in providing businesses and nonprofits with insight on business development, operational excellence, political strategy, tactical planning, marketing communications, leadership management, and cultural transition services for international businesses. Each member of our team is an expert in their respective field, and each of them are dedicated to serving in the best interests of our diverse client base. Our business is to define our clients' needs and create a customized plan plan to exceed their goals and objectives. We compete aggressively and successfully for our clients' respect and trust. We also care deeply about the communities we serve, and our expertise in civic and grassroots campaigns serves our clients well on a variety of issues. We appreciate the faith, support, dedication, and investment of our clients and community in Lang Strategies, and we look forward to a successful and sustainable partnership. For more information or to put Lang Strategies Strategies to work for your organization, visit us on the web at langstrategies.com. That's langstrategies.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Insights and Strategies. To reach Barbara Lang or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to bboyer at langstrategies.com if you have any questions or comments about the program. Now, back to Insights and Strategies. Well, thanks for staying with us. Uh, We are ready for our final segment of today's show. And before the break, uh, we were talking to our our guest about one big transformational project or an aha moment that they'd be willing to share. And the one we've not heard from yet is Donna Cooper. And I'm going to lead her to her big, uh, big transformational project. Donna, you just a few months ago had a huge, how did they say this, huge win with the final approval of the Pepco Exelon merger. It took almost two years to get done and a number of starts and stops. And I know uh, you were extremely involved along with uh, a, a huge team. So first, my sincere congratulations to you and that team for your success. I, I would imagine that going through this was a true test of your leadership, your will, and your ability to stay focused. Tell us how you did it and what skills did you just conjure up uh, to stay with it and to get to the finish line? Interesting way that you you position that, Barbara. (laughs) Just going back a little bit, um, you know, we really uh, proposed this or really formally announced this, like you said, uh, literally over two years ago. We announced it April 30th of 2014. That's Mm -hmm. ingrained. Uh, Then we moved forward with a formal process around the middle of June uh, requesting that we merge with Exelon. And anyone that has really followed the District of Columbia in our area and what was so interesting with our conversation was that concept of change. And a merger was going to significantly represent from individuals, from other stakeholders' perspective change. But the question was, what would that change mean? 
So PEPCO had been operating now in the District of Columbia for 120 years. It's a name. It's an organization. It's a business, the people. These are all things that the local people and the communities really understood and knew. So now you're telling me that you're going to merge with the company Exelon. Well, one of the things that was initial in this process, I stated we're a regulated entity. We're serving our customers. So we had to communicate significantly with our customers, and that was so important for me as well as the company, about what this would mean to them, why we were doing it. And there were, of course, the thoughts from a business perspective, well, this is within the company or the corporate interest. And a statement I made earlier is that for the company to be strong financially in terms of delivery of service to our customers, that's in the interest of customers. So we were making a proposal that would help to elevate us as a company and help take us to that next level. So we put certain information before our stakeholders, and there was what was known as a customer investment fund. But we wanted input and engagement from the government, from our community stakeholders, regarding how this could really be moved as well as advanced within the interests of the customers and the communities that we serve. And going back to the fact that we are regulated, the commission had to make a determination that this was in the public interest. As we all know, we are we're part of a holding company, so every single jurisdiction, every commission had to approve this. We got the approvals from New Jersey, Delaware, as well as Maryland. And we got a disapproval in the District of Columbia. In this process, we were working towards achieving settlements with the parties that were to the particular proceeding. Unfortunately, by the time we were moving towards the record closing in the District of Columbia, we had not reached a settlement. And the commission came back and indicated that they could not make a determination that it was in the public interest of the District of Columbia, its residents customers. And that was really very impactful to us because we looked at this as an opportunity to improve reliability for our customers, to improve customer service, to be more innovative, um, to really help to stimulate the economy in the areas in which we were living, to reduce the cost of service, making our service more affordable. So from the very beginning, we saw it as really a significant win-win opportunity. And when I began that process, I said I personally had to believe that this was definitely in the interest of our customers because I was really on the front line significantly in the community, speaking with the stakeholders about why this was in the interest. So, Donna, how how did this test you because I want to make sure that our listeners understand it, it you know what you personally had to do because we're going to run out of time in a few minutes and I want to just get to that what was the one two or third or three things that you had to do uh, to make sure that you stuck with it and that you uh, show that strong leadership skills that we all know you have uh, uh, to, to help move this forward. Number one, going back to something that I truly believed in, and that's something that I did believe in. It was going to advance the interests of the company as well as our customers. Number two, uh, obviously being able to persevere, 
being very strategic within the process. Also, this had to be very collaborative. You had to have the engagement of various stakeholders in this process that understood that were at the table with you. And so that was very critical in terms of building those particular partnerships. Also, as it relates to the regulatory process, sometimes there are bumps along the road in which you experience that, but then how do you advance it uh, utilizing the structure that is in place as well as being able to communicate effectively and also bringing the stakeholders to the table who can also speak effectively and along the same lines of the support of the initiative that you are advancing, which was the proposal to merge. And so it was perseverance. It was, and it's not just that. We had, we had a filing, a major proceeding, so there's a lot of technical expertise that had to go into the process, a lot of detailed information, uh, financial information, how the company would be structured. So there was a lot of work from a legal as well as a regulatory perspective as well and putting forth the best case that you could put forward and meeting that standard that was established by the Public Service Commission. Well, it, it was, we, we see that uh, your hard work, your perseverance, your leadership certainly paid off. And I think we're going to have to leave it there because we're starting to run out of time. And I, as I said at the very beginning, there are so many questions and so many things, I, topics that I wanted to get to, like, you know, how do you grab another woman and, and bring her along? Uh, advantages that women have that uh, they don't really use. And, uh, uh, is there a business mistake that any of us made? And and the challenges still facing women, uh, whether they are in the corporate arena or whether they are entrepreneurs along the way. But I guess all of those questions have to be uh, saved for another show. And I hope all of you may come back uh, another day. Uh, to our listeners, as you can see, these four women at the top have found their path and have paved their way. And they are also doing it for others, which is extremely important. We sincerely thank our guest today, Donna Cooper, president of Pepco Region, now an Exelon company, major utility in this area, Edie Frazier, uh, the Vice Chair of Diversified Search uh, and CEO of STEM Connector, Sheila Brooks, President and Founder, SRB Communications, and Rosie Allen Herring, President and CEO of the United Way of the National Capital Region. I told you at the very beginning, listeners, that these women would have a lot to offer today and that we would need a second show, and I think we have shown that. You have been listening to Insights and Strategies. I am your host, Barbara B. Lang, Managing Principal and CEO at Lang Strategies, LLC, here in our nation's capital. We'll hope you will join us for next week, where our topic will be branding your business. Please remember, people are divided into three groups. Some people make things happen. Some people watch things happen. Others sit by and wonder what happened. Which group are you? Thank you for listening. Good day. Thank 
you for tuning in this week to Insights and Strategies. Remember to join your host, Barbara Lang, each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.